Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Sport for athletes with an impairment has existed for more than 100 years and the first sports clubs for the deaf were already in existence in 1888 in Berlin. It was not until after World War II, however, that it was widely introduced. The purpose of it at the time was to assist the large number of war veterans and, of course, civilians who had been injured during wartime. In 1944, at the request of the British government, Dr Ludwig Gutmann opened a spinal injury centre at the Stoke Mandeville Hospital in Great Britain. And in time, rehabilitation sport evolved to recreational sport and then eventually to competitive sport. On the 29th of July 1948, the day of the opening ceremony of the London 48 Olympic Games, Dr Gutmann organised the first competition for wheelchair athletes, which he named the Stoke Mandeville Games, a milestone in Paralympic history. They involved just 16 injured servicemen and women who took part in archery. The Stoke Mandeville Games later became the Paralympic Games, which first took place in Rome in Italy in 1960, and it featured 400 athletes from 23 countries. Since then, they've taken place every four years, and in 1976, the first Winter Games were held. Since the Summer Games of Seoul in Korea in 88 and the Winter Games in Albertville, France in 1992, the Paralympics have also taken part in the same cities and venues as the Olympics. This has been an important step in helping raise the profile of the Games and its athletes, and in time, social media and OTT have only turbocharged it. Fast forward from its humble beginnings in 1948, and the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics in Japan featured 4,403 athletes from 161 countries. Ryan Nicewender was one of those athletes, winning a gold medal in wheelchair basketball, and he joins us today to discuss Paralympic and disabled sports sponsorship. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 112, brought to you by Core Software. I hope you are well. Thanks for joining us for another show, and I hope you are crushing your role in sponsorship right now. So this is where I would normally give out some shout-outs, but I've recorded and produced and finished this show before the last episode has even been finalised and released. So there's been very little time to have any new connections and gather any new shout-outs. But as always, please reach out and say hi and connect with me. Let me know a little bit about yourself, and I'll organise a shout-out on the show for you. As I mentioned, Ryan Nicewender was one of the 4,403 athletes at the Tokyo Olympics, winning gold in the wheelchair basketball for the USA. Ryan is a visa-sponsored athlete. As visa's connections to the Olympic and Paralympic Games extend beyond simply their sponsorship of the Games. Visa understands that the skills that make Olympians and Paralympians successful in their sport extend to the workforce as well. As such, a number of elite athletes have taken the opportunity to join Visa's global team where they are now investing in their careers. Ryan is one of those elite athletes and is a Digital Partnerships Senior Manager at Visa. As such, this chat's really insightful because Ryan speaks from both sides of the fence, not just as a rights holder and an athlete, but also somebody who works at a sponsor and helps manage some of those partnerships. But before we hear from Ryan, I want you to consider this. There are 1.3 billion people in the world who are living with a disability. And those 1.3 billion people have a combined disposable income of US $13 trillion. So while the world is largely focusing on digital, Web3, crypto and blockchain, those sorts of things, as new sectors and opportunities to develop in sponsorship, maybe there's been an opportunity right under our noses the whole time. I'd like you to keep that in mind as we hear from Ryan. And here he is to take us inside Paralympic and disabled sports sponsorship. 
Ryan, welcome to the show. We always start with a few icebreaker questions just to have a little bit of fun and for a way for people to get to know you. In the show preparation that I undertook, I saw on LinkedIn that you volunteered as an instructor helping disabled children scuba dive. I've never scuba dived before. What's the coolest thing that you've ever seen or done while scuba diving? There's two things. One is uh, I was able to go night diving, and that's pretty wild just from a standpoint of you only see what's right, right in front of you. And you could have a shark right next to you and you wouldn't even know. So I was able to see a seahorse there, which is like something that I've always wanted to check off the list. Um, but probably my favorite thing that I've seen is they're called silver sides and they're these little fish, but there's massive amounts of them and they all move together. So when you go to reach to them, they'll all move this way or that way and back and forth. And um, probably just one of the coolest spectacles, like you can be surrounded by them and you can feel like all you can see is these little fish and they move with you and they flow with you. So it's pretty cool, but I love scuba diving in general. And uh, I mean, you can't not be impressed by just underwater life that like you never knew existed until you were able to go down there and try it out. I've done a little bit of snorkeling and don't worry about doing anything like that in the ocean at night. I'm convinced there's a shark right out of sight, even during the middle of the day. <laughs> so you're braver than I am, Ryan. Now, your second icebreaker question is, tell us about the most memorable basket you've ever sunk. I'll give you the most recent one that, that's pretty memorable. It was about three months ago um, and we were down one. Uh, it was my club team here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. We were down one with like five seconds left. And I went up on two wheels, shot like shot a shot as time expired, hit it, and we were able to go on and win the championship. Um, so some of those things are like, they're quick. They come to mind because they're very fresh in my mind. Um, but I would say besides that, I think one of the most memorable baskets that I remember was my first Team USA basket because when I was 18 years old, I was in Columbia, Bogota, Columbia, and this 18 year old is like nervous about everything that's about to just happen. And so you're just like, can I just please like not airball my first shot as like a member of team USA. And so I was able to make my first shot. I took this deep breath. And for me, it's not always the buzzer beater. It, it can be, it's not always like the shot that puts you to go ahead with a couple minutes left. It's, it's the ones that um, start the like a new journey. And that was really important to me. And I, and I, I vividly remember uh, the layup. It was a layup, so they, they let me off easy, but uh, it was a layup. Outstanding. Some definite amazing memories there, Ryan. Now, for me, a little bit of a self-indulgent question, so to speak, before we get into the serious stuff, the reason that we've got you on the show. I ride mountain bikes, and they say that the perfect number of mountain bikes to own is N plus one, where N is the current number of mountain bikes you own do wheelchair athletes have the same attitude or is it more of an approach where you just have one of your favorite trusty wheelchairs for basketball that you just you would not part with and you use it every single time oh it's n plus one the the fun part is you get to you get to create so performax is one of the companies that sponsors me uh, they make the, the best wheelchair in the games and they uh, have made accessibility and accessory and i think that that's really fun like i'm able to chrome my wheels out, customize every ounce of my chair. I have an everyday chair and then I have my basketball chair. You could also get other recreational sports chairs, but those are the two that I have. And about every three to four years, I'll get a new chair. Um, you have to stay up to date with the technology. But if I could, I would, I would be getting a new chair pretty frequently because 
I always see something new that I'm like, I got to try that, or I like that color, or I got to try that with my chair. So you are, you are spot on. It is not a mountain biking only type of thing. The other thing that we say in mountain biking is that our greatest fear is that when we die, our wife tries to sell our mountain bike for what we told her we paid for it. Are wheelchair athletes the same? I hope your wife doesn't listen to this if the answer is yes. Wheelchairs are expensive. They, uh, they're more expensive than you would think. They're about $7,000 for an all souped up one. So um, there'd be a little bit of fear. I don't know. Wheelchairs are a little different though because they're so customized. So they're probably a little harder to sell. But I think my wife would totally undersell the wheelchair if, uh, if, if, she had, if she had the opportunity to get, to get rid of it. All right. Well, let's get into the serious stuff, the reason that we have you on the show today. You're a visa-sponsored athlete. What does that mean and, and how does that relationship work? Because I understand you also work for Visa in a unique program that employs Paralympian and Olympian athletes in a business development program as well. Are they separate, for want of a better word, arrangements or are they linked and coexist the, the employment and the sponsorship as an athlete? They're completely separate. Uh, one of the unique things is that this program was actually for uh, retired or soon to be retiring athletes. And I accepted this role heading into the 2020 games. Uh, I was unsure if I was going to go to the 2024 games. I now am going to go for one more, but then COVID happens, games get postponed and I'm still training because I'm trying to make it to that next one while working. So then Lynn Bigger at the time, she was the CMO at a, uh, at Visa, she got wind that I was training and that I had made the team and that I was going to the Paralympics. And she was like, I mean, we have to, like, we have to sponsor Ryan. Like he's about to go do some amazing things. He's a colleague, he works here. But actually the funny part is I had to sign a conflict of interest to say like the things that I was gonna do and the obligations that I had from a sponsorship perspective would not cross over to the work perspective. There were two separate things and, th and they have two separate responsibilities. Um, so yeah, they are completely distinct. Not everyone. I'm actually the only one right now that is a part of the Olympian and Paralympian business development program and also sponsored as a team visa athlete. Outstanding. Sounds like a great setup. So Ryan, tell us about your other sponsorships and, and what your relationship is with those brands. I already mentioned one Performax has been there from the beginning. And I think they're an American made wheelchair company that, uh, has like the family like feel yet makes like one of the world's best uh, wheelchairs out there. And so that's a sponsor, that's a sponsorship that is more product-based. Um, I mean, chairs are expensive as you know, and it's the one thing that I need to be able to, if I kind of, when I'm leaving for a major competition, I'm like, okay, do I have my wheelchair check? Like everything else I can deal with, but do I have my chair and is it in like working condition? Do I have all the equipment and spare parts? So they really set me up for success. And I think it's one of the big reasons why I've been able to go, as far as I have with the sport. Um, Toyota, after the uh, Paralympic Games, they sponsored uh, us for this, this the year after the Paralympics where we were able to do um, events for them. Uh, we did social media posts, uh, all the above. And then Visa, I just re-signed. One of the interesting parts about the Olympics and Paralympics are because they're every four years, they're a quad, um, two years, Companies really focused on like the winter games and then two years of the summer games. So we're really entering into uh, a new season where 2023 and 2024 is when you're going to see all the major companies start to like reach out and sign athletes. Now is the most important time 
I think as an Olympian and Paralympian to have your agent uh, reaching out and making sure that they're advocating for you, uh, showcasing your accomplishments, what you bring to the table. And so to answer your question, Visa is the only one that I currently have that signed through 2024, but that's more because they locked me up early and um, that happened like three or four months ago. But we like, let's talk in six to 12 months. And I hope that uh, that answer has, has a lot more on the list. So how do you describe on a personal level, how the support of companies helps change your life, not just as an athlete, but as a human being as well, because disabled athletes have faced many challenges over the journey. Growing up, I didn't even know what the Paralympics were. And it's because it wasn't on TV. It's because it wasn't in the general public. It wasn't a common phrase even that people would know. And when I think about, let's fast forward 20 years, Ryan start like eight-year-old Ryan started wheelchair basketball and now I'm 28 years old. And so when I think about that 20-year time period, the difference is, is that companies are starting to invest. They're starting to see the value proposition. So a great example would be Toyota sponsored uh, airing, they sponsored the Paralympics, they sponsored the Paralympics, but they helped invest money to create more airtime than ever before. Our wheelchair basketball gold medal game was in prime time on NBC. If you were to tell me that when I was eight years old, I would have called you nuts. But it's because uh, major Fortune 500 companies have the capital to invest in things that they see value in and that has a great ROI. And companies are starting to see, I think it's the trickle effect or the domino effect, like it's not happening overnight. There's a huge amount of opportunity in the space still. But what I would say is you're seeing the visas, you're seeing, and they're living out their brands, like visas, everyone, everywhere. Well, if your slogan is gonna be everyone, everywhere, then you need to sponsor everyone, everywhere, all people, all abilities, uh, black, white, Asian, race, socioeconomic status, you name it, there has to be an investment. And then, to top it off, we'll get into this a little later, but there's a, it's not just a, a charity event or you inspire me. It's There's a huge value proposition that most people don't even know exists. And it's an untapped market that in the next four to eight years, I think will start to boom. Well, speaking of the value proposition, it's a great segue into the question that I want to ask next, which is around how brands often sponsor rights holders or organizations or athletes. And those rights holders usually have a whole suite of rights or benefits that they build into sponsorship packages. And when you're talking about working with a brand being sponsored, what are you typically positioning that you can give them in return for their support? What is that value proposition? Well, I think you bring up a great point in the fact that everybody is different and you have to be able to position yourself uniquely um, to differentiate yourself. I think one of the biggest things is that I'm a, a public speaker, I do corporate keynotes all the time, and to not only speak to my experiences as an elite athlete, and to be able to bring people and use stories to illustrate strategies to help people reach their, un and organizations reach their untapped potential, I can do that. That's a huge value proposition. And I think that 10, 15, 20 years ago, people were looking at people like people with disabilities, and they were saying like, oh, that's nice that like they're getting out and they're going to the gym, or that's cool that like they get to, hop in a chair and do something that they like. Like, that's so inspirational. And now it's like, oh, Ryan's an amazing public speaker. He has so much value. His experience, not only at the pinnacle of sport, but in his adversity that he's had to face 
from with his disability and the lessons that he's learned and the way that he's had to grow up and the perspective that he has. I mean, there's 1.3 billion people with a disability that make up $13 trillion of disposable income. And that market size is larger than China. So if you think about people invest in what they see, and when they see companies investing in either if you have a disability and you see a company investing in people with disabilities, you're much like you're more likely to use that company, right? Same thing with a family. I can tell you for a fact, Toyota, what they did and what they were able to do to not only support me, but to support my family. My family looks at they're getting a new car, and my dad's like, well, I'm getting a RAV4 because he's associated with someone that has a disability. That's where the $13 trillion of disposable income comes from. So I think people like to see themselves reflected in what companies are investing in. And for the first time, the big billion trillion dollar, big like widespread numbers are, are creating a, an impact. And it's not just an inspiring story, but it's a value proposition that can drive a huge ROI and to, to, to round out, um, companies that can differentiate themselves. Cause I, like I said, at the, at the beginning of it, not everyone's doing this. And if you get on the front of this wave, it's going to create huge impact and it's going to allow you to get in front of this before other people do. So Ryan, when I was just listening to you speak then, I wonder if you agree, it feels as like there's been a shift from those examples you gave. Oh, isn't it great? The disabled person's going to the gym. They're, they're trying to live a normal life to the type of value proposition that you just mentioned then, that the shift has been from less about the person's disability defining who they are and more about what that person can actually bring to the table as a value proposition? I think it's shifting tremendously. I think you're spot on. But the other thing that I think is so huge is that once Ryan Nicewinder and people like myself get sponsored by the Visas, the Toyotas, the Cities, the Bridgestones, the Hershey's, I could go on and on and on. Once you get sponsored by them, now I'm elevated and my reach is greater. So then when I communicate, when I go speak, you talked about a value proposition that I bring, I can do disability awareness and education. So people don't see me as, oh, the cute little guy that's like going and like lifting some weights and I'm really proud of you. But they're like, well, someone spoke at my company or someone spoke at an event and I remember him speaking and I know what he's accomplished and I know what he's done and he's changed my perspective on people with disabilities. So now when I walk into the grocery store, the gym, the movie theater, on and on and on, my perspective has changed. But we're just starting this process. And I think that we're not going to see the benefits of it truly for until it ripples out for, and, and we have a little bit more time to see, to, to see what, what comes of it. We so often talk about inclusion and equal rights and treating everyone the same and rightly so. And you gave that great example of what Visa's tagline is all about. However, people are different. There's no shying away from that. Paralympians are different in lots of really, really great ways. As athletes, what are some special angles or, or maybe considerations that disabled athletes can bring to a partnership that, for want of a better phrase, I don't even know what the right phrasing is, those able-bodied athletes that they just can't bring to a sponsorship or a partnership, sort of those very, very unique propositions or differentiators? One of the big things I think that we can bring to the table is 
and I, we don't, I don't want to just be this and this only, but companies right now are investing heavily in their diversity and inclusion space. And we bring a unique perspective where it's not every day that you have someone that is well-spoken, that is well-accomplished, that people want to listen to, but yet can share a perspective of, you know, when I was eight years old and I would go down the grocery store aisle, the one thing that I dreaded was when the little kid said to his mom, like, why is he different? Why is he walking funny? And how we need to educate the parent because the parent doesn't know how to educate the kid and how when we educate the parent, the parent educates the kid, we create generational change. And now we're seeing like impacts in our communities, globally, regionally, and all of the above. So I think that that's a huge value proposition. I think it's, we offer a perspective that no one else can. It's very similar to, I think, why African-American or black or people of different races and ethnicities can bring a unique perspective. And that's why you want to have people that represent all backgrounds a part of your sponsorship angles, because then you get to bring perspectives to your companies, perspectives to your consumers, that you get to represent them in unique ways. So I think that that's one. I think the second way that we can differentiate ourselves is, my hypothesis is this, it's it's that what if we turned our great biggest insecurities into our greatest assets? And for me and many people with disabilities, it's easy to think about that like insecurity. But when I think about the asset that it's become and the thing that we can leverage when we go speak, when we go um, add value to campaigns or, or um, pictures that we take with like the groups of other athletes, it showcases um, that we've championed the thing that maybe we could have shied away from most. And I think that that's a powerful story. And so I also think that you can take that exact statement that I said and someone else can put themselves in that shoe. They have their own insecurity and they could turn it into a great asset. They could maximize their potential. They could get into their untapped potential. And so I think that it's peeling behind the curtain and thinking and reflecting and for us to take the time to really think about the lessons that we've learned holistically, sport, background, socioeconomic status, um, life lessons that we've had to learn, things that we've had to overcome. How do we... Uh, tie all those things together to bring forth uh, a meaningful value proposition. And I want to dive into this at some point, like we can table it for a second, but companies need to start investing and they need to start seeing the value proposition. But I think um, organizations that, uh, that work with people with disabilities or like I play in the national wheelchair basketball association and they're a national governing body. Like, big entities or organizations that represent people with disabilities, we can't just go and ask for money because the, it's, it's the nice thing to do or like they should just do it out of the kindness of their heart. We need to take the time to build that value proposition. It's a two-way street. Like one person needs to see it, the other person needs to build it and we need to be able to do that simultaneously. I think you make a, a number of amazing points there, Ryan. I was writing notes and I'm not really sure how to collate them right now, but I think you make some... <laughs> I think you make some really good points, particularly around uh, connecting with people on that, in engaging with your greatest insecurity, your greatest weakness, because it, it strikes me as, as such that when we see athletes doing well who aren't disabled, 
there's still that little bit for the kids. I want to be like that athlete. And there's definitely a, a, an element of that at play with you. You spoke about eight year old Ryan wheelchair, eventually being inspired by other Paralympians, but people who aren't in a wheelchair aren't going to aspire to being a wheelchair athlete. But what they can aspire to is, is, is taking on the challenges and triumphing and thinking the way a, a Paralympian does. So I think that's a really interesting angle there. You mentioned speaking engagements is a big part of what you do. I know I'd be excited if I got to sit there and have a, have a chat to you and have, have a listen to what you've got to say in a corporate setting and change my mindset a little bit. Speaking engagements are often a benefit or a right that a lot of individual athletes offer and including their sponsorship packages. Tell us, what do brands need to focus on to ensure that they get the best out of a speaker, someone like you, when you turn up to an event? What do they need to do to get the best out of that experience? I think it's taking the time to directionally decide what you're looking to get out of the athlete and what whether you want it to be like, here's a good question. Do you want them to do their own corporate keynote or do you want a Q&A? Do you want more of a relaxed style or do you want more of a formal setting? I think that a lot of times I'll ask them, what are they going through as a company? What are some like uh, high level topics that they're dealing with right now or things that they're seeing that they would like to be incorporated in a discussion. And when I ask questions and I try to probe to see like what's going on with this company, I can do my homework and I can Google and see like what um, a company like, I don't know, I, I've, I've spoken in the past to like Salesforce, Google, the NFLPA, and I can Google those things, but it's much more valuable if you give me some perspective as to who I'm about to go speak to because it allows me or any athlete to tailor our talks to those people, to speak directly to them. I can give a generic talk that I have, but it, you're just getting what everybody else gets. And if you're already going to pay me or you're going to sponsor me and have me come in for that time period, you might as well get your best bang for your buck. So I think part of that is a lot of times it's like we need a court, we need a keynote speaker. Ryan's great. Okay, check. Like we, we got him for our event check, but we haven't really taken the time to take the 15 to 20 minutes to really say, why are we like bringing Ryan on? What value do we want to, like what values do we want him to speak to? Um, how did the, these things align and then kind of move forward? So that has nothing to do with whether you're disabled or not. I think it's just strictly around, I have gone too many times to companies that are paying me too much money to not come in with more of an agenda or just, maybe have a pre-conversation that's 10 to 15 minutes that gives me more perspective so I can shape and shift my talk to be able to speak directly to them and leave them with an impactful thought, idea, question, or motivation. It's great advice. And I've seen it happen plenty of times before where it seems as though a speaker has just been rolled out and they haven't really been prepped about what's going to really resonate with the room and what those challenges are that those people, particularly in a, a corporate setting, might be facing either as individuals or as an organisation as a whole. I loved your earlier framing around how brands need to be riding the wave of this space. And clearly that implies that there's going to be more change and more growth, more maturity to come. But Stepping back a little bit, how would you describe how sponsoring Paralympians, either as individual athletes or teams or maybe sports as a whole, has changed since you started as an athlete actually at a, at, at a serious level? I can even go back before I started even playing because I have learned from the people that have come before me that 
when they were going to like the Sydney games, they were fundraising to get their own, to find money so that each individual person could have enough money to pay for their own flight and their lodging to go, you know, now. And then how about this? In 2016, we won gold in Rio. I was an alternate for that team, but the team went, went and won and they got $5,000 for winning uh, the gold. In 2020, during that time period, uh, there was a change that was made where Olympians and Paralympians were going to get the same compensation for their medals. And now, four years later, or five, I guess, because of a postponement, there's like a $30,000 difference. And I look at that alone and I say, wow, that's a seismic impact, you know? And that's life-changing for someone that's for someone that plays wheelchair basketball that you totally do Paralympic sports for the love of the game and not because you're making money. That's a lot of plus one new wheelchairs, Rowan. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was trying to convince my wife, like, so does that mean I get to like buy more toys or like, what does this mean? Um, but I think that to think about the fact that people were paying their own way to five years ago, we had a $30,000 shift in metal money. And then I also look at, we still have so much to go, you know? I'm so grateful for where we are, but our under 23 national team right now for wheelchair basketball is doing a GoFundMe so that they can have enough money to go to Thailand for the world championships. Like I, I see the Megan Rampinos and I see a lot of the, the other U.S. women soccer players advocating for equal pay between men and women, and they should be. They're creating the value proposition that's bi like bigger than just the ROI that maybe a game's bringing in, but what are they doing for our, our communities and more broadly the world? But I say to myself, like, I look at the, the WNBA and like that they want to get paid more so that they're on equal footing to the NBA, and I'm like, that's exactly right. They should be. But then I look at where we're at and I'm like, we don't even have a pro league in the US at all. You just play for fun. You have to go overseas to make minimal money. There's just not, we're just on the beginning of the wave and companies like the Visas, the Toyotas, the cities and beyond, they're doing such a great job to, to be the pioneers, but it won't be until we do enough educating to the general population for there to really be that change. But those are some of the things that I've seen. Um, long way to go, but we're making great progress. And it's it's exciting for me because you always want to leave the game better than you found it. And I'm really seeing some like massive shifts uh, because of companies that are starting to see the true value proposition that we bring. Is it fair to say that this is a real opportunity for brands to get involved in this space and be able to actually shape how it goes forward? Because these days, there's not a lot of sort of innovation in sponsorship. There's a, there's a few little things that happen around blockchain and, and digital currencies and crypto and, and, and things like that. But it, it really is still trying to fit into a platform or a rights holder that has been set in its ways and can't really change. It's like trying to turn the Titanic. Is this a space where brands can come in and really properly work with sports and athletes and really forge their own path and develop the space? Paralympic athletes, and I can't speak for every single Paralympic athlete, so I'll caveat it with that before I can go any like deeper. But what I will say is that 
because we're still at the starting line of like what truly can happen when companies invest, I think we're also so eager to work with companies that we're that there can be more of a collaboration that you may get a little bit more of our time because we want to show you not only that what we bring to the table, but we're just appreciative of the fact that you're seeing us the way that the world should be seeing us and that we are elite athletes that can really bring a significant um, return on investment to the table. And so I just think that when I look at my sponsorship with Visa or when I look at Toyota sponsoring our whole Team USA national team, I just see our ability to partner with them it goes a, a level deeper because we are grateful. And it's not that the elite elite athletes aren't grateful. They're just getting stretched in so many different ways because they've already been tapped out. So they're only going to do the bare minimum because they have to go through something else and then something else and then something else. Whereas that's not the case with the Paralympics yet. It should be, but it's not. And so if you are one of the first movers, I look at not that other games can't do this, but at least in the United States where a lot of big companies are headquartered, LA 2028, if you're only starting to invest then, it's too late because everybody's going to want a slice of the pie. But if you start now, if you think about your strategic plan now, if you start investing today, then you're going to be ahead of that curve and you're not going to be playing catch up when everybody else is cashing in on the things that they've done in the previous years. You mentioned the Visas, the Toyotas, the cities. Are there certain brands or, or maybe types of businesses, industries, or, or maybe even the types of marketing outcomes or, or even corporate social responsibility outcomes that brands might be looking for that are best aligned to Paralympian or disabled sports sponsorships? I'm sure there are some that better align, but my bigger thought process is that I just don't think in their conversations, in their rooms, they even have someone that has a disability or know someone like with a disability that they're even bringing it up. Like I have been in rooms at within companies where they're talking about, oh, great. So we've covered like all of like the different groups and we have everybody covered. And it's like, there's no one with a person with a disability. Like we're worried about all these different representation and seats in executive letter level leadership but name one that has a disability. Not that they don't exist, but I'm just saying that the people aren't even in the room to bring up the fact that, hey, we're missing something. And I think that that is why you don't see more companies putting it as a strategic initiative. I don't think it's because they don't align well with it because you have the banks, you have the car companies, you have the payment networks, but you also have like, Deloitte's a huge sponsor of the games. Salesforce is a huge sponsor of the games. Bridgestone is a huge sponsor of the games. Hershey's is a huge sponsor of the game. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Adidas sponsors athletes. Nike sponsors athletes. But the question is, like, why doesn't Puma? You know? Or, and and I could be wrong. Like, I, I have not done my homework on, like, a Puma or other companies. So I want to make sure that I, I say that I could totally be wrong and I'm happy to be corrected. But the more, the the, the bigger thing that I'm trying to get at is just there's a hodgepodge of companies that are investing in the Paralympics, but they all see the same thing and it aligns to the core. It has to align with the core of any business because they're looking to represent their people, their pe their consumers. And 
there's 1.3 billion people that make up 15% of the world's population that have a disability. I have to believe that at least a couple of their consumers are have a, have a disability. Um, so it's, it's not that some wouldn't align better than others. I just think that every company could find a seat at the table uh, and find a strategic value or initiative that could really um, al- help align and, and, and work with the Paralympic movement. I think you make a good point because I've been involved in sponsorship for a, a long time, met a lot of people, visited a lot of rights holders, a lot of brands, a lot of agencies, and I appreciate not all disabilities are visible. But as you were speaking, it just occurred to me, I don't think I can remember ever meeting somebody working in the sponsorship space with a disability, and 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 it, and it manifests itself just in those sorts of examples that you gave before. Ryan, we know that there are a lot of commercial rules around sponsorships and the IOC, a lot of do's and don'ts. You can have this, you can't do this. There's little blackout periods before and during and after games. However, the biggest stage and the one that gets the most attention is the Paralympics. But as you've mentioned a couple of times, and we all know it only happens every four years. How do you balance the, 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 the increased exposure and interest in yourself as an individual athlete in a games year compared to in between? Is it a case of you always being conscious to, to try and smooth things out in a sense, maybe take the focus away a little bit from the every four years participation? Or, or do you just go all in on a games year because being a Paralympian is such a huge part of what you do? Well, I do work a full-time job, so that probably leaves a little hint that, um, yes, the Paralympics are years where we really get, do get to cash in and, and everybody, and there's lots of companies that want a piece of it. And we, if you have a successful games, it only elevates your status and allows you to um, make more money and be able to, to, to be able to support yourself and, and be able to continue to go for the next four years. Um, our sport is a little unique also in the fact that if you play wheelchair tennis or you're a racer or I could go on and on, they have like circuits throughout the year where they're going and playing Wimbledon. They're going and playing the, like all the different tournaments and there's money and there's cash prizes and just wheelchair basketball specifically hasn't been able to figure out how to monetize that. So like when I go play in my leagues, it's a glorified adult league and I get paid no money. I'm actually paying to travel and go play those competitions. And I'm taking PTO to go do it, but I have to do it. There are, Europe has figured out a great way to monetize it. I've gone overseas and I played professionally in Germany. And that's when I've really been able to see uh, the fruit maybe of like a full year basketball environment, um, maybe getting some some companies and sponsors to, to see you in a new light. But I think overall, Yes, it's every four years that the games are happening, and that's where we need to start. And yes, it's a it's a global games, which is appealing to global companies, and it's on big stages with big TV contracts. But it truly is the professional leagues that will allow more visibility and allow for bigger exposure for us as athletes moving forward. What about a Netflix-style documentary like a Drive to Survive leading up to an Olympics? That would be amazing because I watched a Drive to Survive 
documentaries and never really had an interest in F1 apart from just glancing at the headlines and, and watching the highlights on, on the news. But now I've taken a keen interest in it. I would definitely watch something that showed your progression leading into uh, a, a Paralympic year and, and, and the success and what's happening behind the scenes and then hearing some of that stuff from athletes. Has anybody spoken about that? There's been uh, Netflix documentaries, like there's one called The Rising Phoenix. It wasn't on a specific sport, but it was on at like Paralympic athletes. It's a great documentary. It wasn't on the lead up to the games. It was more on the athletes and who they are. Um, more specifically, there was a wheelchair basketball documentary, but it wasn't on the Paralympics. It was more on like a team based out of Miami. It's called The Rebound. That's on Netflix as well. So there are some things that have really taken off and, and they're on Netflix or other on other streaming devices, but there hasn't been the specific, like, let's follow you day in and let's do a documentary on the lead up. Like I would be very interested. I, I think people would be very intrigued to see that I train all morning. Then I work all day. And then depending on if I need to peak, I might go train again. My, my schedule leading up to the Paralympics, my wife and I went to a uh, move to a Texas stayed in a long-term Airbnb. I, volunteered as an assistant coach at the University of Texas Arlington to get on their training protocol or their testing protocols for COVID. I trained six to nine in the morning with them. I worked nine to six and then I scrimmaged six to nine and I did that every day. And then you're taking all of your PTO to go to the training camps and then you're taking unpaid leave from your job to go uh, compete in the Paralympics, but you do it because you love it and you do it because it means something to you. And you do it because of the the other 11 guys that you're doing it with and the family that you've become and the support system that you have. But it's like that story, that narrative, something bigger than sports, but also seeing the sport for what it is would be, would be impactful. So totally agree. I think those are the creative outlets that I think it's a very easy way to reach a broad audience, to educate people more, and also probably bring in um, – a nice financial bonus that that would help uh, potentially allow athletes to be able to do this at more of a full-time clip. Ryan, what's your approach to using digital assets like social media as part of your sponsorships? Because you're an athlete, but you're also part of a team, those other 11 guys, but the team doesn't manage and dictate your own personal digital presence. However, as an individual, even though you are an athlete, the lines get a little bit blurred between sport and personal life. A lot of people handle it quite differently. What's your approach to it all? Are you all out there on social media or, or are you more of a private person? I think social media is a powerful tool that allows people to kind of do many different things. I think if it were up to me, like by myself, I'm like totally cool staying off of it. And I would be perfectly fine if I didn't have to post all the time, but maybe just things that are... Um, big life events, right? But I think that because there's a, the ability to educate, there's also um, an ability to get your brand and build your brand. I have found a lot of um, more positives than negatives. And I've really used it to, in this past two years uh, with my new agent from Dromos Agency, um, she, she's really shown me the importance and the power of it and how uh, that along with, my unique speaking abilities and my success on the court, tying all those three things together brings a better value proposition. So we 100% use social media. I also think that social media is unique because like LeBron James is popular because 
he plays basketball and he's amazing and he's one of the world's best basketball players, right? But then, like, LeBron James' kid is, like, doing really well on social media because of he, he, uh, LeBron, but then also because uninterrupted posts repost him and ESPN reposts him. But you never see, like, on ESPN, on SportsCenter, on these huge um, mega platforms them reposting wheelchair or Paralympic athletes. And I think that it's, it's so, it's crazy. Um, like on LinkedIn, I posted, uh, I was on a Wheaties box. I went and spoke at uh, General Mills and they sent me like a gift and it was on a Wheaties box. It wasn't even in stores. It was just like me on a Wheaties box. I took a picture of it and it like blew up because LinkedIn is the thing where like, when you like something that it like opens up to your network, then it opens up to a different person's network. But I think that we are um, at a disadvantage in the Paralympic movement because our biggest athletes still don't have like the LeBron James followings and we don't have like the other huge entities and companies that are reposting our stuff. So you don't get to like create a huge snowball effect of like one thing turns into another thing and then you're able to boom. So you're looking at some of the, the, the guy that the best player in the world right now, wheelchair basketball, was Steve Sirio at the Tokyo Games. He had an amazing game. My guy has 9,000 followers. And that's good for like our sport. You know what I mean? So like there's there's just there's an unfair advantage that like the NBA players and like able bodied players and the Olympic players have. But I think we're closing that gap. And we just need to figure out unique ways to do it. We need help from the big companies. We also need to strategically think about ways that we can do it ourselves. And we're working on it. But that's, from a social media standpoint, I find it like unbelievably valuable. But I think we just get stuck sometimes in that, like, how do you get over the hump of the couple thousand followers to the hundreds of thousands of followers that then naturally you get sponsorships just from people going to your site and they're like, dang. He's a lot, he's a big following. I want to be like with this guy. I'm glad you're all engaged with social media because on that front, you are a digital partnership senior manager at Visa. How does being a sponsored athlete yourself help you in that corporate role, your daytime job? Because it's pretty unique being a sponsored athlete, but then also working in that space, sitting on both sides of the fence. I think more than ever before, it's understanding the value proposition that obviously Visa brings, but then understanding when we're working with various clients, it's what's the value proposition that they bring to the table? And then how do we collectively merge those things together to be able to uh, create meaningful and, and deep, impactful relationships and also drive business forward? And so I think for me as an athlete, I'm always trying to pitch myself, right? But then when I work at a company like Visa, we already have a huge brand, a recognizable brand, but the companies that I'm working with do too. So then it's, it's where's our common ground? Where can like where can I help them and they can help us and together we can not only increase the values of our company, but create a deeper societal impact. Because the companies that on both, like Visa can do it, but the companies that I work with can have a ginormous, like they're some of the biggest companies in the world. And just by snapping their fingers, they can create like a, a huge impact in some of the the craziest places in the world. So I just think that I've used those things to try to bridge those gaps, and I've used the lessons that I've learned as an athlete and 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 as um, a sponsored athlete, and I've brought that to the table to um, add even more value in what I do. 
Look, there's clearly benefits to brands sponsoring Paralympians and their sports. But as I mentioned earlier, and you've spoken about it as well, there's a huge focus on the Paralympics every four years. So it's that cycle. However, there's a ton of disabled athletes at levels below the Paralympics across lots of different sports, right down to the grassroots levels. What are your thoughts on brands being involved and sponsoring at that level as opposed to just being focused on on the top end, so to speak? I think everybody wants to be a part of like the gold medals, you know? Everybody wants to be a part of that like one shot where everybody's cheering and you're holding the one thing that like everybody thinks is so cool. But you're only able to do that because of the opportunities that you have when you're younger. And so I look at investing in the younger generation and in the youth sports and in the national governing bodies that help produce these Olympians and Paralympians. And I say, um, if we don't invest there, you'll never see the fruit years later. Uh, I look at when roots, and I'll give the analogy of a tree. When, when roots push the sap out and it goes into the trunk, the only way that it goes to the branches to create the fruit is from the overflow that it has. And when I look at the youth sports, I see that as that's the trunk and the branches that produce the beautiful fruit, that's the Olympics and Paralympics. But you only get that great fruit if you invest in the unseen hours, if you invest in the moments that maybe are below the surface or in in the heart of the trunk of the tree. And so I just think that, You can find unique ways to do it. You can also do it in local communities where I've seen Toyota do this tremendously, where Toyota has all these different dealerships in different parts of the country. So those dealerships invest in those youth programs that are in the local areas and you create local sponsorships that create local impact that is seen on a local level and then people locally buy your product. So I think that we just have to look at the big companies that are global should invest in the global and like the globe, the global sporting events, but almost every company has a local level as well. Just reach your hand out where you are. It doesn't have to be anything special, but make that impact there. So those would be my two pitches is it, you only, you only win the gold medals by investing in in the people and, and the environments below. But I think the more impactful thing is, um, if you are local, invest local, and, and you'll be surprised the ROI that you get in return. I said at the start of that last question that there's clearly benefits to brands sponsoring Paralympians and disabled athletes. I can see it clearly. Hopefully the listeners can see it clearly as well now. But some brands might feel as though sponsoring disabled athletes it's a bit of a risk in terms of them potentially saying or doing the wrong thing around communications in disabled sport. We live in a culture where the slightest misstep can become big news. Everybody piles on. Everybody wants to have their say and their opinion. It's amplified by social media where so many opinions and many of them just uneducated and not even thought through. They're unfiltered. They're just shared and it can really affect a brand's reputation and their business. What's What's your advice to brands on that front who might be wary of sponsoring and supporting disabled sport? I think rather than shying away and being wary of it, allow those athletes to come in and poke holes 
give them permission to speak into maybe some of the areas where you're um, misinformed. Because I think how you improve your marketing campaigns, how you improve your work culture, how you improve how you position the Paralympic movement and disability sports and adaptive athletics is by allowing people who are further along the journey and maybe have lived experiences to help educate you. And I've seen some of these big companies that we've talked about, that's their business model. Bring in Paralympic athletes, have Paralympic athletes look at marketing campaigns, look at internal and external things that they're doing as a company and poke holes. Where are we messing up? Where are we missing? How do we improve? But I totally missed this at the beginning, but you asked like, how do we differentiate ourselves from other people? We have lived experience that we can speak directly into their campaigns, speak directly into areas that they're missing. And we all have blind spots. I have blind spots. I mean, today I'm speaking on the Paralympic movement, but I know that there's tons of other, uh, other underrepresented people that also aren't getting sponsored. So I'm only speaking from my lived experiences, but I think that it's really important to, rather than being worried about, am I gonna say the wrong word? Am I gonna mess up? Why not ask? Why not open the door? Be vulnerable. Say, I don't know, can you help me? Can you inform us? And then I think the biggest thing is listen, actively listen so that you can learn so that maybe the next time they're not poking the hole in the same thing, but they're seeing something new and it's just refining and refining and refining. But we're only able to do that if we're all working together, if we're all in the same room. And uh, the, the best companies that are really involved in disability sport and Paralympic movement, um, they're doing that exact thing that I just said. And I think the word that comes to mind for me there is is intent because coming from a place of good intent, asking those questions and then listening is an important element for everybody there. Ryan, we've spoken about brands and athletes riding the wave of change in this space. So for either brands or athletes in this space, where are the areas, do you think, of focus that will, that will really help this space mature even further? Where do people need to be focusing on? I think where brands can focus on is if they don't know how to position or have a conversation with someone with a disability, then their company probably doesn't know and their consumer probably doesn't know and we can go on and on. And so we make this like very complex when it should be very simple. <laughs> and why I say that it should be very simple is it's not that it won't take time, and it's not that it won't be challenging, but simple from a standpoint of just starting a conversation and listening and learning and in improving. I think that companies are starting to invest in um, like employee resource groups that are, include people with disabilities. And then they're bringing in speakers to like educate their companies and you're creating allies and all that great stuff. But I just think the biggest thing to do is to start asking questions and from a place of good intent, right? Not because I, I give the best example of, I've had people come up in the grocery store and they ask me like, hey, what's wrong with you? Or like, what's your disability, you know? And while I appreciate that they want to be informed, like they don't know me and they're not looking to get to know me. They're just someone that's just curious. And I'm not a huge fan of that because I, if you wanna to get to know me, and you want to have a conversation, I'm all about it. 
but if you're just like curious and you're and you're not there's no there's not a good intent behind it i think sometimes i still answer the question and i'm still kind about it because we we have a huge responsibility to not turn people off from asking those questions but i think that's a great example of like well why did you really ask that question <laughs> you know and if we're really looking to invest and brands are looking to take that next step forward i think it starts with a genuine conversation and taking a chance and bringing someone in and seeing the the effects that it can and the impact that it can have within your company. Brian, it's been a fantastic chat. I've really, really enjoyed it. If people want to connect with you, keep the conversation going or find out more about Visa's athlete program, what can they do? Where can they go? So RyanNicewinder.com is my website. That's a great place for you to find out more information about me. Also, find out uh, some of the topics that I speak on, some of the place um, sponsorships that I currently have. And then LinkedIn is also a great place. Uh, Ryan Nicewinder, uh, at Ryan Nicewinder is my Instagram handle. That's probably where I'm most prevalent on social media. Um, but those are three great avenues. And uh, we'll make sure to get back to you as quickly as possible uh, if you reach out. And of course, listeners, as always, we will put links to those in the show notes. Ryan Nicewinder, Paralympic gold medalist, team visa athlete and digital partnership senior manager at Visa. Thank you so much for coming on the show and taking us inside disabled athlete and sports sponsorships. Thanks for having me. This was this was a fun chat. I really enjoyed it. Such a great chat. As we finished and I stopped recording, Ryan and I were still chatting and, and I made him go and get his Wheaties box and he showed me and it is so cool. It even comes in its own clear plastic box to protect it, kind of like a football or a baseball card. I was definitely jealous. I'm sure that you will all join me in wishing Ryan luck as he pursues another Olympics in 2024 in Paris. I know it's going to be super cool to tune in and see him play. As I said before we heard from Ryan, I wanted you to consider this, that there are 1.3 billion people in the world who are living with a disability, and those 1.3 billion people have a combined disposable income of US $13 trillion. So while the world is largely focusing on digital and crypto and blockchain and Web3 as some of those sectors and opportunities to develop in and around sponsorship, maybe there's been an opportunity right under our noses the whole time. If you'd like to connect with Ryan on LinkedIn, simply search for Ryan Nicewender. That's N-E-I-S-W-E-N-D-E-R. And on Instagram, at Ryan underscore Nicewender. And of course, on his website, RyanNicewender.com. Finally, if you'd like a shout out or just want to connect with me and say hi, I'd totally love to hear from you. As I always say, I get a real kick out of it, so please do. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. That's a wrap for episode 112. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, eBooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.